Hello everyone and welcome to Grandpa's Playlist right here on Spotify. So sit back and enjoy the show. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Grandpa's Playlist right here on Spotify. My name's Paul, I'm your host, but I'm also known as Grandpa the Nerd on Facebook and YouTube and various other shows like uh, The Morning Brew on the Ne'er-Do-Wells channel over on YouTube. And coming soon to my YouTube channel, Grandpa's, Pl- uh, Grandpa's World, Grandpa's World, where I'll talk about everything and anything. But this right here is about, all about music, Grandpa's Playlist, all about music. And what do I have for you this time around? Well, I have for you the June 24th, 1997 release from Motley Crue called Generation Swine. Now, I know this is a touchy subject with a lot of Motley Crue fans, very touchy, at least the Motley Crue fans I knew. Um, a lot of them hated it. A few of them were like, eh. And there were a small group that were like, man, it's not bad. Never heard the word awesome. Never heard, you know, the word perfection. Never heard the word classic. It's just a Motley Crue album. I mean, Dr. Feelgood, there's some classic gold right there. But this one, not so much. Now, I'll admit, it's not their best album. But I'm one of the few that actually like it. Um, this is the first album with Vince Neil. Returning, well, he left in 91, and then he came back here in 97. Um, I'll get into more of that information later. Um, and this was the last album with Tommy Lee until 2008. Um, so, you know, they brought one in, and then they lost one. And that's how the world works. Molly Crew is like the biggest dysfunctional band, I think, ever. I think they're more dysfunctional than Kiss. And we know how, you know, Ace and Peter don't get along with anybody anymore. Or at least not with uh, Gene and Paul. That's uh, neither here nor there. Um, This album and the title track was also inspired by Hunter S. Thompson's generation of swine. So, there you go. Now, before we get into any more facts or get into any more talk about the uh, album and how good it is or how bad it is or whatever I ramble on about. Because when you get my age, you can ramble and ramble and ramble. So, we're going to hit it off. I'm going to start off now with the first track. Uh, It's called Find Myself. So sit back, and I hope you enjoy it. I mean, I do. I like this song, but some people don't. So here it is, Find Myself. Check it out.
Well, that was the first track, Find Myself, and uh, I hope you liked it. It's a touch, like I said, this album is a touchy subject, so if you're a diehard Motley Crue fan, you might hate me. You, you might hate me when this is over, and I'm okay with that, because music, you know, music isn't for every, okay, mu- there is music for everyone, but not every type of music and every album and every band is for everyone. You know, like, you know, St. Anger, you know, I, I don't know why that, when I think of the biggest letdowns in history, St. Anger is my first one. But I know people that think the album is awesome. So, you know, to each their own when it comes to music. But my show, my opinion, and, you know, the only facts that, you know, that my wife was able to dig up and do my notes for. So, now, this, here's here's some facts. Uh, the Warner Brothers CEO wanted the band to get rid of uh, John Karabi, but Nikki Six and Tommy Lee did not want Neil back in the band. Now, I was a fan of Motley Crue's self-titled album. I liked John Karabi. He could sing. I think that one is their most underrated album. I think it was classic. I think it's good. I think it, it rocks. It's, it's just, it's, to me, Motley Crue's self-titled album it was a perfect album. I mean, a lot of people, and I and I brought this up in an episode that I did a long, t- you know, way, a couple a, a way back when I did Judas Priests. Um, you you stick a new singer in a position that people are not used to or are used to hearing it a certain way, and people get all bent out of shape. Oh, I don't want to listen to this. I don't want to like this. Is crap. I want this guy back or I want that guy back. And it's like you know, if they change the name of the band, you'd be like, this album's awesome. At least some people I think would be that way. You know, they change the name of the band, bring in a new singer, and it's like, oh, okay, it's okay, because it's a new band. But you bring in somebody and don't change the name, people get bent out of shape. I think John Karabi did a fine, fine job. I don't know what goes on behind the scenes. I'm going to give you some info on stuff that, you know, we found on the internet, but I personally don't know what happens behind the scenes. So for me, I can't say if John Karabi was a good guy or anything like that, but I just know that for my personal taste, their album with him was fine. It was it was awesome. Um, uh, the band underwent some mass firings because they weren't happy with how things were going, including hiring a new manager, Alan Kovac. Uh, eventually, they fired Bob Rock as producer for being too expensive and overproducing. So we'll leave it at that. We'll come back to that here in a second. I'll leave it at that. And I'm going to go ahead and we're going to get into track two. Uh, track two is called Afraid. Now, this was the first single with Vince since 1991. Uh, Larry Flint was in the video. Uh, the song was written by Six about his early relationship with Donna Donna Dorico. I hope I said that right, Dorico. So this is about his relationship. So the song's called Afraid, and uh, it's not bad. So sit back and open your ears and listen. <laughs> 
All right, well, that was Afraid, which was uh, track two here on the Generation Swine. Now, where was I before I played that song? Oh, yeah, they were. I was talking about producers. Too expensive overproducing. Uh, the band hired Scott Humphrey, uh, with Six and Lee serving as co-producers. However, the efforts towards the new album were becoming increasingly disorganized. Humphrey and Six were... Regularly arguing about ideas for the album's direction, Mick Mars's role was greatly reduced due to an uh, ongoing feud with Humphrey. Karabi was also getting pissed because he would learn and write music that would be changed uh, before he could get back to the studio. So Karabi eventually got pissed enough to leave overall. The infighting to disorganization which left the door open for Vince Neil to rejoin. Vince was hesitant at first, obviously, but eventually relented and rejoined the band. Now, Vince Neil had a good album, I thought, when he on his own. The, uh, uh, the one that had uh, You're Invited But Your Friend Can't Come. The one they used for, uh, what was it, Encino Man? I think it was Encino Man. Anyway, Vince Neil did a good job on that album, I feel. Um, I honestly think Vince Neil could have continued on his own uh, for, for a limited time. I don't think he would have been able to hang for the rest of his life on his own. I think he could have. He would have. Think he could have gone on a couple more albums. That's just my opinion. I think he could have gone a couple more albums, and then it would have been like, okay, he's either got to get with another band, or just give it up. Like I wish he would do now. And I love Vince Neil. I think he's awesome, but I don't think he's got the chops anymore. And you no know, age, this, that, and the others just hit him, and he just doesn't have it. Hey, if someone said, "Man, you got to give up this podcasting thing because you sound terrible," or this, that, I think about it, but. Motley Crue, I don't know. I'm just, I'm ready for Motley Crue to just disappear. Just go off into the sunset. Let's call it a good, we had a good run. It's time to move on. Ain't nothing wrong with that. I can always relive all these great Motley Crue albums and songs because I have them all. So let's just call it a good day. You know, they did that whole thing where they signed contracts years ago and said they're, you know, they weren't going to tour anymore. And then COVID came and then they saw Guns N' Roses and all these people selling massive getting massive dollars for tickets, and then they change their mind. Let's go on tour again. And it's like, no, 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 no. I'm not okay with that. But I don't control the world, and I don't run it. So it is what it is, but that's what I feel, you know, they should have done. Um, but I'll get I'll get on to the subject here of John Karabi. Um, a lot of people, and that's what should sink into most people, that maybe we didn't know back then because we didn't have the internet and we didn't have the knowledge and they didn't, you know, air their dirty laundry or whatnot. But this album was never, ever written for Vince Neil in the first place. So if it comes off as like, this is weird. This doesn't seem like something Vince would sing. To me, I don't think he would because he didn't have a lot of input, I don't think, in this album because it was already coming together with John Karabi. So most of these songs were written for John Karabi. So, you know, I could be wrong here. I could be way off out of base or way out of line or whatever metaphor you want to use. But I don't think that I don't I believe that's part of the problem. It wasn't written for Vince. It was written for someone else. And Vince and John are totally different singers, totally different styles. So that's why I feel this might have been a more successful album had they kept Karabi. Um, but uh, hey, all this dysfunction and disarray going on, the guy couldn't take it and he left. Now, as for Vince coming back, you know, I saw a Vince Neil documentary on Reels, and uh, I really feel bad for the guy. I mean, a lot of the stuff that happened to him was his own doing, but I do feel bad for him. And the fact that, you know, they've never, the other guys have never said anything to him about, you know, his daughter and all that just makes me think that when I watched The Dirt, I was watching 
you know, Tommy Lee and Nikki Six's version of things and not the other guy's version of things. And then you listen to Vince and you're like, well, this kind of contradicts a lot of what Tommy and them say. So it's like you don't know who to believe when it comes to Motley Crue. But I tend to I tend to lean towards uh, believing Vince because he didn't have to go back. You know, he was the one that was fired. It just seems like maybe he's the one, you know, because he's not shying away from all the stupid shit that he did. So, but then again, either to the other guy. So I don't know. It's one of those things where I don't think we're ever going to know actually the whole facts about, you know, Motley Crue and the inner workings. But uh, so, but for you guys who've maybe not heard this album before and you listen to it for the first time now, just remember it wasn't written for Vince Neil. So let that sink in a little bit while you sit back and listen to track three, which is called Flush. Check it out.
Well, that was Flush. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, you know, I don't know what it is about Motley Crue. Um, I love them to death. I think they're one of the best bands to come out of the L.A. scene. Out of all the bands that came out of the L.A. scene back in the 80s, I think they're the best one. Now, I'm not disrespecting the other ones. I don't say the other ones suck. I'm just saying I think they were the best um, from their era. I mean, a lot of other great bands have come from L.A. after, but I think they're, you know, in this genre of music, which back then wasn't called hair metal. It was just hard rock, heavy metal, whatever. Um, now it's all, you know, oh, they're a hair band. Um, they're one of the best ones that came out. Um, you know, I like Poison, but they were harder than Poison. You know, I like the Bullet Boys. They seemed harder than the Bullet Boys. It's just, you know, Warrant. They were just more, you know. Yeah, they started off with the hair and the makeup, and then I think it was Girls, Girls, Girls is when they finally just got rid of all that and just was leather and bikes, and it's been the same since, kind of. Um... I still think they were the greatest one to come out. Um, and from the West Coast, too. Um, I mean, I don't think anybody outperformed them. They did a lot of shows. Just, they were a good, solid band. But of course, now, you know, back then, we didn't know all the turmoil going on behind the scenes. Yeah, when he got into the car accident, we knew because it was headlines. When his daughter died, we knew because it was headlines. But. All the other stuff, you know, we didn't know about all the heroin and the drinking and the drug use. I mean, we we assumed they probably drank and did drugs because that was what you did when you were a musician in the 80s. You drank, you did drugs. I mean, that's just plain and simple. Um, so we don't really know. We, we didn't know what was going on, you know. And I just think it's, you know, as time has gone on, you really realize, man, that band, they were having a lot of problems. They They really weren't, you know, they didn't get along as much as we thought they did. And the shameful part is when I watched a documentary, uh, uh, Vince and uh, Tommy grew up together. They knew each other even before the band. And it just, you know, seems like, you know, a friend, a friendship there that was good over time deteriorated into nothing. Um, you know, I picture every once in a while Gene and Paul hanging out and having dinner. You know, there's a lot of band members that I picture sitting around together, you know. They go on tour, you spend so much time with them when the band's, you know, when the album's done and the touring's done. Okay, we're going to go our separate ways for a little while before we kill each other. And I, I, it's, like, it's like a family. I always felt a band's like a family. I mean, you can ask the Gallaghers, we haven't had a good band, we haven't had the, you know, Oasis fell apart because they were too close. Because they were actually related. Um, But, you know, they, these bands, they, they, they get away from each other for a little while. But over time, you know, they get back together and everything works out, you know. And so, oh, hey, great, you know. But it just seems like Motley Crue, I just, part of me feels that they probably, you know, never got along. And maybe they never hung out outside of, you know, maybe it's good. Maybe they shouldn't have. I don't know. A very dysfunctional band. Very, dis very dysfunctional band. Um, but it's a shame, you know, kind of, I spent my youth, you know, thinking they were the greatest band in the world. And... Nothing could, you know, oh, man, they're awesome. And then you find out later all the stuff they were going through. It's just like, I look at them different. I don't, I, I appreciate the music still to this day. You know, I've never lost any love for their music. It's just, I look at the band differently somehow. You know, which leads me to um, the reception for this album. Which, you know what, I think I'll hold off on that for right now. Let, let's get another track in. Because there's, there's 13 tracks. This, this album wasn't a small, you know, 8, 9 track album. I mean, 13 tracks. So, what I'm going to do 
is I'm gonna play two. I'm gonna play two tracks. Um, I'm gonna play you the the title track, Generation Swine, which is track four, and then I'm gonna go ahead and play um, track five, which is Confessions. So I'm gonna play two songs back to back. And then I'll come back and give you some more tidbits of information and probably ramble about shit that's not important. But so yeah, here's track four, Generation Generation Swine. It's a little bit of a tongue twister. Generation Generation Swine and Confessions. So check them out.
talking to me for a while. Inject my soul with the truth. Do you dare? Oh my God, it's time for a prayer.
Well, I hope you enjoyed those two tracks. I did. But like I said, I've always enjoyed this album. Um, album cover. Let's discuss the album cover. Uh, to me, didn't like it. Uh, just what the pig masks. The, it just, I just didn't like the album cover. They should have. They should have uh, done something different. Now I don't have any suggestions on what they could have done because I'm not that creative. You know, if I was, maybe I'd be making album covers myself. But um, I don't know what they should have went with. But that I just, I just didn't like it. You know, I like the simplicity. You know, I like simplicity, and you know, sometimes simplicity works. Uh, the uh, Album cover for Guns N' Roses is Appetite for Destruction. Simple. Skulls on a Cross. Worked. Uh, take the uh, Dr. Feelgood. Just the Dr. Feelgood logo. You know, no band members, no nothing. And it worked. You know, so sometimes, you know, a little, a little uh, uh, something simple works. So I'm getting tongue-tied here and losing my thought because I'm staring at things around my room that are distracting me because, well, I'm getting older. But no, I didn't like the album cover. Uh, I think they should have went with something more simple. Um, but like I said, I have no suggestions because I am not creative one bit. And if you've listened to any of my podcasts or watched me on YouTube, you'll see that I'm not very creative and very unprofessional. But hey, that's an argument for another day. Now, the reception for this album wasn't favorable. You know, People called them sellouts and the experimental sounds were not what people wanted from a Motley Crue album. Now... That's what I mentioned earlier. Um, it wasn't really... Yes, it was experimental, but it was they were trying to do something, you know, with a new voice. You know, they did the Motley Crue album with John, and it was, you know, let's try something a little different. So it was experimental, but it wasn't experimental with Vince. They didn't, you know, bring in Vince, say, hey, Vince, let's try something new. This was something they were trying already. Vince inherited, this, you know, this sound. So, I mean... Vince Vince Neal should take no responsibility at all here. Uh, they rehired him; he came back in. But with you know, seeing us looking back and seeing all the stuff that was going on through documentaries, this and the other, me personally, in my opinion, and it's just my opinion. But Vince should never have. No one should ever say, "Oh, Vince this, Vince that" about this album because he came in when it was already, according to John Karabi, when he was still there, they were like eighty percent done. So. This is this album. Vince has no. I think there's no. He should shoulder no responsibility for this album being bad. I think it's all falls on Nikki and Tommy. I don't even blame Mick because Mick probably wasn't too involved because he had his own problems, you know, with his health and this, that, and the other. So I'm I'm putting it all on Tommy and Vince, or t not Vince, Tommy and Nikki. And the fact that Tommy left, you know, after this, it just seems to me like you know, Tommy and and Nikki should have just. They should have kept Bob Rock or got to, you know, they should have just tried not to produce so much of themselves. They talk about somebody overproducing and here they, you know, but I'm not going to get it because I don't know how the, I don't know how producing works. I don't know the ins and outs of doing, uh, producing on an album because, I mean, all I do is at my own editing and recording of this, but I don't know, you know, with music, this, I just, I don't know how producing works and I don't even want to attempt to know. It looks complicated. You ever seen a soundboard? You know, behind the scenes footage and stuff. It's got like 50 bazillion knobs and buttons and sliders. And it's like, dude, you got to have a... Anybody that produces music, whether the albums suck or not, I give them credit. Because that's got to be the most complicated thing ever. Just looking at that. It looks complicated. Hell, I have a hard time doing this little bit myself for when I edit my videos together. 
can't imagine putting together a whole movie or something. That's just, I guess why I give credit. You know, I may that, that album sucks or that movie sucks, but I won't disrespect the people who put it together and do the editing and the sound because I know that ain't easy. Now, usually when a movie sucks, it's just because the writing's bad or the acting's bad. I've never, you know, a lot of movies that are the worst ever still have good, you know, cinematography and good editing. So it's like, you know, I try to stay away from affecting those people because it looks complicated. It just looks complicated. But yes, I don't think, you know, he should get any, you know, get any, you know, Vince should have no responsibility or Mick, in my opinion, for the album not being successful. And as for being sellouts, well, I mean, did they really sell out? If you look back on it starting today and look back and look at Crew's career and look up to this point and look at Kiss, I mean, Kiss sold air air guitar strings. Come on, man. Come on. Who's the... They're, you know, I don't feel Motley Crue sold out. They just, you know, they were, Tommy and Nikki were trying something new. And if you look at the stuff that Tommy did, you know, right after with, you know, Get Naked and all that with Acid Brothers, or Brother Boys, I don't know, I think it's Acid Brothers. Um, he was more of a, trying to get into that mixture of rock and hip hop and, you know, he wasn't, Motley Crue wasn't his thing anymore. And then, you know... I just feel this album, I don't feel they were selling out. They were just trying something new. I mean, Metallica are sellouts now, in my opinion. But when they did St. Anger, they weren't selling out. They just tried something new. And for me, it didn't work. This album, I feel, worked. But we're all different people. We all have different tastes. So if I come across somebody and they're like, Generation Swine, I can't even say it. Generation Swine is the worst album I've ever heard. I'm not going to argue with them. Because it probably is the worst album they've ever heard. Because I don't have that person's brain. I don't have that person's ears. So I don't know what that album means to them. But I know what it means to me. So when you listen to my show, you're going to get facts that we find on the internet. And you're going to get my total 110% opinion. But my opinion is nowhere near fact. It's just my opinion. So, you know, if you get if you start to get red-eared and angry hearing what I have to say. I'm not speaking for anybody. I'm just speaking for myself. And if anybody agrees with me, that's awesome. If anybody disagrees with me, that's awesome too. Because that's how a good debate comes. And I'm talking about someone who gets mad at me and just starts, hey, fat man, you're fucking stupid. You don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Someone ought to kick your fucking ass. I, that's not a debate. That's just somebody being a dick. I don't mind debate. Let's sit down. Let's talk. Let's figure out what's wrong with this album. And you know what? I'm, I might, you might change my mind. You might you might get me to say, yeah, that confessions, that's not a very good song. You know what? Now that I think about it, you know, that, if it wasn't for you, so so that's what I'm saying. I don't have a problem with debating people. I don't want to fight with anybody. Just debate, friendly debate. You know, we're not gonna we're gonna slap each other. So anyway, I don't think Motley Crue was a sellout. I just think they tried something new. They were trying something new with Karabi. Karabi left. Vince came in, and what they were trying just didn't work with Vince, and it failed. As for sellouts, you know, I don't, I don't think they were sellouts. I, I think they are now. When they saw all this money they could be making and brought Vince back and all these, it, now they're sellouts. Now they are 110 percent, in my opinion, sellouts. But they weren't then. So now we're gonna go with two more. I'm gonna play you two more. I like doing the two back to back. I, I don't know. It's the thing. I don't know. Maybe it's back from my old days when they two for Tuesday. Um, even though it's not Tuesday. Um, so I'm gonna go with these next two. Um. It's track six, which is beauty, and track seven, which is glitter. So sit back and enjoy. Yeah. 
All right, well, this album's just moving right along. Now, I want to clarify some things, because the way I record this show, I go back, you know, I record it, then I listen to it, then I finalize it, turn it into an MP3. Um, so what I'm going to do is I want to bring up something I had brought up earlier and clarify it. When I say they're one of the best bands to come out of the L.A. scene and all that, I mean from their type of music. Because there were some, you know, you know, Metallica bands like that who, you know, came. I don't, I don't put Motley Crue in the same category as I put like Megadeth or Slayer or, or Wasp or anything like that because they were heavier. That's why I always preferred to say Priest and all those guys. Those were heavy metal in the eighties. You know, thrash, speed, whatever classification you want to give it, subgenre. I just was considered it all heavy metal to me motley Crue was just a hard rock band i didn't consider them heavy metal just like you know they were in the same category with bon jovi they were hard rock it's just they were harder than bon jovi but they were just hard rock so i don't want anybody to get their panties in a wad and be like well you know wasp was better and awesome it's like i understand where you're coming from so that's why i said hard rock i don't I don't go for those subgenres and oh, it's speed, it's thrash, it's this. It's just to me, just for me, just for my own taste. Hard rock is hard rock, metal is metal. There's you know hard. Okay, they're hard rock, but harder. You know, but they're harder than the other guy. But they're still hard rock, regardless. You know, and then you got regular rock and roll when I put the Stones and Aerosmith in. So, I so that's what I'm saying. Molly Crew was the best to come out of their little group of hard rock. You know, from L.A. So I wanted to clarify that. Because, you know, some people do get touchy. And I don't want to piss anybody off. I don't do this to just piss people off. You know, so I wanted to clarify that. Um, there was something else I was going to clarify. But now I can't remember what it was. So I guess it doesn't matter. I guess if somebody complains to me about something, I can clarify it then. Um, now, I did rank, I do give my top three tracks of this album you know i did it. i started that new with the last show i'm gonna do it with this one but after we're done and pick my three favorites um but i am gonna tell you now i'm gonna play you the next two tracks uh track eight and nine these uh definitely are not gonna be on that list so you can rule out of the 13 you can rule these two out so now you're sitting there you only have to think of 11 because these two i'm not a fan of at all um but like I said, when I judge an album, if you know, if there's ten tracks on there and three of them I just can't stand, I don't just throw the whole album away. So I don't like these songs, but I can still say this is a good album. So I'm just gonna play these for you and get them out of the way. Um, it is uh, track eight, anybody out there, and track nine, let us pray. These two. You know, not my favorites. And then there's another one on here that truly, truly is not my favorite. But we'll get to that one in a little bit. So sit back and, uh, like I always say, sit back and enjoy. Looking for love, looking for love Let me 
Well, all right, that was uh, track eight and nine. I hope you enjoyed them, because I did not. But that's just me. Like I've said, that's just me. Now, in 1997, John Karabi filed a $4 million lawsuit against the band for breach of contract, fraud, and slander. Now, I've looked and looked and looked. Maybe I just lack in Google skills. Maybe my wife just lacks in Google skills. But needless to say, I don't know if he won the lawsuit. Maybe it was. Maybe they, they settled and it was sealed, but I couldn't find any information. But I do know that John Karabi feels that 80% of this album is it, it was his work, and he didn't get his due. Um, he only got credit for two songs. Um, I don't remember which two they are. If you want to know, you can look it up. I don't feel it's that important. But two songs gave him writing credit, but he said he worked on about 80%. Um, which leads me to a little tidbit of information. He doesn't feel that this Mick Mars things is legit. He said when he was there, they all they did, Tommy and, and uh, Nicky, was bitch and moan about Mick's playing. Oh, Mick this, Mick that. According to him. Like I said, there's always three sides of the story. Side A, side B, and uh, the one in the middle. So... I don't know if it's true, but they said that he used to they used to complain about his playing, and he feels that Mick probably got fired, that he's not retiring because of health, that that they just fired him, and he was talking about how you know other people play guitar on you know he doesn't know about new tattoo, but he knows about the Saints of Los Angeles, you know that that was a different you know DJ Akaba and you know now John Five, so they don't uh, he he doesn't think that they think he fired Mick. But he said he did, you know, when you listen to some of the guitar on the album, he said, that's not Mick, that's me. So he sued him. But if he won, I don't know. Can't find any information. I hate that. Don't you hate when you, you, you find out something like, ooh, well, I wonder if he won. And you can't find out. So, you know, leave a message here on the, leave a message on Spotify or something and say, hey, old man, I found it because I have the Google skills of a god and uh, John won or John lost. So anybody out there can tell me, leave a message here on Spotify and set me straight on who won the lawsuit. Okay, so now I'm going to go to track 10 and track 11. Track 10 is Rocket Ship and track 11 is A Rat Like Me. So, like I always say, say it with me, sit back and enjoy. Yeah. 
you enjoying this album so far do you agree with me do you think okay it's not that bad it could have been better yes but it's not that bad and for an album that was 80 percent complete before vince came back it's also i guess it makes it okay because what else were they supposed to do trash it and start all over we would have never got an album by then and if they had started over i feel they would have probably broke up again i mean tommy left so you know I, I just, I'm just saying. I don't. I think this was the only way they could get it done. If they had started over. I don't think we would have ever got an album, and they just would have said "fuck it" and "fuck off," and they would have left. So, I, I think this was just, this is the only way we were going to get an album. And 
me personally, you know, like I said, I don't feel it was that bad. So I don't know how you guys think so far. Um, th this, uh, so if anybody wants to leave a comment and be like, yeah, you know, blah, 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 this, blah, 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 that, I'm open to whatever you got to say. Cause like I said, if you attack the album, I don't take it personally. It's their album. I like it. It's their album. If you don't like it, well, fine. You don't like it. Um, now these next two songs, I'm going to go on a little bit of a rant here, I guess. These next two songs are the worst songs I think Motley Crue's ever done. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, Shout of the Devil's a good song. Yes. But Shout of the Devil 1997 didn't need to be made. There was nothing wrong with the original. Didn't they, you know, if you want to remaster a song, that's fine. But to re-record it, it, it didn't need to be re-recorded. It was a masterpiece to begin with. I think they just wanted to, you know, we don't want 11 songs. We want 12. And then the last song, oh, for fuck's sake, shoot me in the head. Um, no, don't actually shoot me in the head, but, uh, you know, you know, this, 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 this boggles my mind, Brandon, okay? It, obviously, it's about Lee's first son with Pam, but it's still, you know, it, it, it didn't fit this album. I mean, if anything on here was experimental, it was Brandon. This song did not fit. I feel it did not fit. I think it was the worst song on the album, and I think it's the worst song Motley Crue has ever done. Even that Nona. I'm out of my head about you, no, no, or however it went. I haven't heard it in a long time. This song, Brandon, was awful. I, I'm, I'm sorry, it was just awful. Yeah, I know he, he was singing it to his son and about his son. And yeah, Tommy Lee can sing good. I like, you know, I like that some of the albums he did, and some of the songs were good. Some of them were hit and miss. But he's not when he wants to sing, he can sing. But this one, this was terrible. Um, the, the only thing good is the piano playing, but it's just, it's a terrible song. I mean, it just doesn't flow for, for me. It doesn't flow. It doesn't sound right. It just sounds wrong. So I will say Brandon is probably the worst Motley Crue song ever. And I mean, ever. Um, but the shout of the devil, it's not bad. It just was unnecessary. I feel it was unnecessary. Um, if he really wanted to remaster it, they could have remastered the entire, you know, Shout of the Devil album and, you know, re-released it with, you know, in Dolby or whatever they wanted to do, clean it up a little bit. But to re-record to re re it and put it on here, I don't know. I just, I don't know. It, I mean, it's the only song on here that actually was, uh, you know, made for Vince. So, I mean, that fits. But I just, I don't know. I just feel it was a waste of space. They should have just ended at track 11. Shout of the Devil wasn't necessary, and Brandon is just like, should never ever be, you know, played again. I mean, I feel bad I'm putting it on here for you guys, but when I do a whole album, I do a whole album. I'm not going to leave it off. Because like I said, this song is awful, but it doesn't bring down the album's quality for me. It's still a good album. It's just this song, at least it's the last song, you know. So when Shout of the Devil starts, I can just turn the CD off or stop the playlist or whatever, because like, I don't need to hear it. If I want to hear Shout of the Devil, I'll go listen to Shout of the Devil and, and get all the other songs on the album. But yeah, I'm sorry. Brandon, you know, you, you guys might think I'm cold-hearted because oh, it is about his boy. Well, I don't care if it was about his boy, his dog, or his car. I don't care if it was about his dead mom. If his mom's really dead, but I'm just saying, I don't care. It's a terrible song. I mean, he could have, you know, he, sh he should have had somebody else write it, should have had somebody else sing it, and could have still dedicated it to, you know to his daughter to his kid i mean it didn't have to be could have been his lyrics but somebody else singing it i'm just saying i don't know i don't know if it's the writing or the singing or both but you know there's things they could have done to mix it up but 
don't know. Terrible decision. Terrible decision. Um, maybe he should have put Brandon on his first solo project. I, I don't know. I mean, I can be a dick sometimes. Maybe I'm going overboard because I really don't like the song, but you be the judge. You be the judge. You, you let me know if Brandon is really as bad as I am making it out to be. All right. Well, with that, here they are. Track 12, Shout of the Devil 97 and Brandon.
All right, guys. Well, that was the 1997 release of Motley Crue's Generation Swine with Karabi out and Vince Neil in. I do totally hope you enjoyed it. I truly hope you didn't like the Brandon song, but I still hope you enjoyed the album nonetheless. Now, I think until Motley Crue is a thing of the past and totally forgotten, I think this album will always be debated around the fans of Motley Crue. Because the people who aren't fans and listen to it say, it's a shitty album. They don't get no say. I mean, they can say it's a shitty album because they have the right to their opinion. But when it comes to the Motley Crue sphere, the Motley Crue universe, they don't matter. What matters is the fans of Motley Crue. So it's going to be debated forever. But I do think it's going to be the first Motley Crue album that like totally disappears. This one and probably the John Karabi Motley Crue album. Those are probably going to be the first ones that disappear. And then New Tattoo. And the, uh, girls, 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 Dr. Feelgood. They'll probably, be, you know, they'll probably last for a very long time because they were solid albums. I mean, early Motley Crue stuff is just solid as a rock. Um, I didn't have any problem with New Tattoo or any of that stuff. It's just, I didn't really have a problem with many of their albums. 
Like I said, my only problem with this one was the mismatch because it was written for one guy and they brought the other guy back. They should have. I I know what I said. If they had taken time to restart, they would have ended up falling apart and fighting and it broken up and it would have never came. But maybe to some people, that's what should have happened. I feel they should have retooled some of the songs. But at the end of the day, I still enjoy the album. I still used to listen to it a lot. You know, as time goes on and you get older, you, you stop listening to some of the stuff that you've listened to. You're like, because ah, you got so much, so much music has came out since 97. So I probably hardly ever listened to Mo- this Motley Crue album. But when I do listen to it, I do enjoy it. But like I said, in all honesty, once that Shout of the Devil 97 kicks in, I'm like, kaplunk, I'm out. So anyway, I do truly hope you enjoyed it. And I hope, you know, to the people who've never heard the album... I hope you liked it, or I'm sorry. It can go either way, but that's up to you. But whatever way it goes for you, either I hope you enjoyed it or I'm sorry. Um, Now, I did say I was going to give you my top three. So these are my top three songs on this album for me. My number one favorite is probably Generation Swine, and then Rocket Ship, and then Find Myself. Those are my three, those are my top three. So, there you go. Now, I use, I, I, I'm going to continue to end the show, like I said, I'm going to give you a random track, you know, in the episode, you know, not a random track of the night, and I announced it last time, but I don't know for sure yet, I'm on the fence on which two I'm going to go. So, to, just to make it a surprise, you just got to stick around till I'm done rambling, and then you'll hear a song that has nothing to do with Motley Crue, has nothing to do with Generation Swine. It could be anything. It could be Charlie Daniels. It could be, well, no, it won't be Britney Spears because I don't go that way. But it, it's going to be something that you might be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So whatever it is, I hope you enjoy that too. But like I said, I haven't decided yet. And after, you know, after I'm done recording this and putting it together and uploading it to Spotify, I'll have decided what song it's going to be. So I'm glad you took this ride with me. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, I hope my unprofessional ass didn't bore you too bad. So until next time, I'm Paul, also known as Grandpa the Nerd. And uh, until next time, um, I will see you on the Ne'er-Do-Well show on YouTube. Uh, well, not the Ne'er-Do-Well show, on the Ne'er-Do-Well's YouTube channel on Sundays called The Morning Brew. Um, obviously, this episode is going to drop this week so easter of 2023 we will not be on because it's a holiday and they have families and you know stuff i have a family too but they celebrate easter we do not but they are going to you know do their own family thing so we're not going to be on then but you can catch me on that and like i said soon i'll have grandpa's world up and running and then you know that'll be more of me talking but i have guests and stuff like that um and talk about anything games music movies television shows probably less on the music because of the this show but there you have it so um now i am going to go ahead and let you know that my next episode is going to be uh an 80s band and uh i hope you enjoy that album coming up um i I, i've already announced it on the morning brew or on uh, mahoney's uh, house of horrors i don't remember which one i announced it on but i'm gonna leave it mums here in case something changes but I am go- what I'm going for is an '80s band, you know, and it's a true '80s hair band, like people like to say, hair bands. So, anyway, I hope you enjoy the album. I hope you enjoy tonight's uh, random song of the night. And until next time, I love everyone and uh, have a great and wonderful night. 
the summer sun is fading as the year grows old And darker days are drawing near The winter winds will be much colder Now you're not here I watch the birds fly south Across the autumn sky And one by one they disappear I wish that I was flying with them Now you're not here Like the sun through the trees you came to love me Cause you're not here Cause you're not here 